We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I want to talk about Governor Stitt's signing of the Save Women's Sports Act into law one more time, and I'm going to do so within the context of Noelle Maring's book, Awake, Not Woke, and why sexual identity and sexual morality matters. I'm Dr. Ever Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thanks so much for listening into the show. On today's show, like I said in the uh, introduction, I want to go back and talk about Governor Stitt's signing of the Save Women's Sports Act into law one more time. And before we do that, I want to thank Governor Stitt for doing this. As I've said repeatedly on this show, good conservatives are those that are thoughtful and that are constructively critical. And what do I mean by that? What, I, what do I mean by the words constructively critical? Well, we get back to the definition of words again. In our day, critical has been dumbed down by being, oh, somewhat synonymous with being a malcontent, always negative. Well, he's always critical. That's not what the word means. Critical means to critique. To look at something with a critical eye means that you're analyzing it and you're you're capable of seeing the good, the bad, and the ugly of any given issue in play. You're constructively critical of something when you critique it. And when we're constructively critical of our own, for example, conservatives, Republicans, in my case, and in the case of many of you that are listening right now, if you're a thoughtful conservative, then you have the ability to be constructively critical of your own ideas as well as those ideas of other that are within your tribe or others within your circle of influence, your family, your church, your political party, or whatnot. In other words, you're not blindly loyal. You're constructively critical. That's why I don't apologize for critiquing being constructively critical of education. It was my industry for my entire career, and therefore I think I have the right and the responsibility to critique it. If education is going in a good direction, I'll applaud it and say, great, I gave my life, my career to this industry, to this enterprise, to the effort to educate the next generation in the ideas that matter, to teach them how to be constructively critical thinkers. But if education is going the opposite direction, a good conservative recognizes that it is his or her responsibility to say so, especially if it's your business, if it's your career. Thus, my constant drumbeat of calling education to task because it's not doing what it's supposed to do. I'm not going to be blindly loyal to the enterprise of education just because I'm an educator. Likewise, I'm not going to be blindly loyal to Republicans just because I'm a Republican, or conservatives just because I'm a conservative, because blind loyalty is the antithesis of what it means to be a true conservative. 
A true conservative conserves the ideas that matter. Those ideas are more important than blind loyalty to a tribe, a family, or a political party. You get my point? So in this case, Governor Stitt has signed this bill into law. I applaud him. Thank you. This was a very good move. And all of us should be standing up and applauding Governor Stitt, thanking him, calling him, emailing him, doing podcasts, Facebook posts, Twitter posts, whatever. We should all be thanking our governor here in Oklahoma for defending the dignity and the identity of women, for complying with Title IX, and for telling the world that in Oklahoma, women will have the right to compete in sports against other women, and we will not allow men to intrude into that space and to culturally appropriate things that are reserved for women and women alone. Thank you, Governor Stitt. So let's take a break, and when I get back, I'm going to review this bill, why it's a good thing again, why it matters, and I'm going to do so within the context of Noel Merring's Awake Not Woke, a book that I've already talked about in previous episodes of The Rebellion. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So let's summarize very quickly. On Thursday, March 29th, Oklahoma's governor, Kevin Stitt, signed the Save Women's Sports Act. That's what it's called. He signed that act into law, so it's now the law in Oklahoma. And here's the thing. When he signed it, he did so, as you can, as you can guess, over the objection of a horde of progressives who couldn't wait to rush out to their keyboards and their microphones and their podcasts and Facebook and other social media and just condemn this, just condemn Governor Stitt for another act of conservative bigotry and cisgender injustice. I mean, it was as predictable as the sunrise. But here's the question. As we review this this story one more time, I want you to think about it in this context. Ask yourself this question. How in the world is it possible that we live in a country with such disparate views on almost everything? I mean, it's two different countries. It's a 50-50 split. You can almost guarantee that if a governor such as DeSantis or Stitt comes out and signs a law defending women, that 50% of the country are going to accuse these governors of being anti-woman. I mean, it's insane. It is upside down in every way. On one side of the debate, we have a governor here in Oklahoma, the reddest of red states, saying it's important to protect women's sports. And on the other side, we have a host of Me Too activists who pretend to stand for women's rights, who go out and shout that Governor Stitt's protection of women's rights isn't right. I mean, talk about lunacy. Talk about good, evil, and evil good. Talk about the inability to even define your terms. Governor Stitt's defense of women's rights isn't right, according to the left, according to me too, according to the progressives who fancy themselves as the defenders of all that's right. Okay, so what's going on here? What in the world is happening? Why, another way to, why is there such glaring disagreement over something that almost everyone would have assumed up until about five seconds ago was as uncontroversial 
as a woman's right to have her own sport. Are we missing something? I mean, surely we are, right? Well, let's look at the actual bill. I read portions of it to you last week, but I want to do so again, and I want you to hear me, because this is very important. The media will spin this stuff by giving it a different name, a different title, and imply that it's something that it's not. You need to go back and read the actual bills, whether it be the one in Florida or whether, whether it be the one here in Oklahoma or any other state. Read the bill. I know it's tedious. Uh, statutory language is incredibly boring and complicated and poorly written. I, I don't like it either. But you've got to go wade through the bill, and I'm going to help you do that right now. And maybe, maybe by reading the actual bill, we'll see who's right and who's wrong in this dispute, right? So don't listen to what other people are saying. Just read the stupid bill. And this bill is titled Senate Bill 2. This is what it actually says, okay? Now, I, I went over this with you last week, but I want you to hear me again. Listen to what the bill says. It says this, This act shall be known henceforth as the Save Women's Sports Act. That's the official title now. And it, as it's going to be used accordingly in the sections that follow. So everything I'm reading to you right now is referring to Senate Bill 2, which is henceforth to be named the Save Women's Sports Act. Pretty simple, pretty clear, right? Here's what it says. It defines things that need to be defined. Some of them you just scratch your head. Why do we have to define this? Well, I guess we do. So here, here, here's what it says in defining stuff. It says, school means a public school district or public charter school in the state of Oklahoma or an institution within the Oklahoma State System of Higher Education. So that's what a school is, public school, charter school, or a college or university within the Oklahoma State System of Higher Education. Pretty clear. Second thing it defines, school athletic association shall have the same meaning as provided for in section 27102 of Title 70 of the Oklahoma statutes. So what's that mean? In other words, we've already defined this in previous law. Go look it up. That's what they're saying. School Athletic Association has already been defined in previous legislation, uh, Section 27102 of Title 70 of Oklahoma statutes. So go look it up if you don't know what a school athletic association is. So they've defined what a school is and what a school athletic association is. Thank you. It's probably important if we're talking about saving women's sports. The next thing they define, intercollegiate association shall mean a national association that sets eligibility requirements for participation in sports at the collegiate level and that provides the coordination, supervision, and regulation of the intercollegiate competitions, close quote. Okay, so that's an intercollegiate association. If we're talking about college sports, university sports, there are intercollegiate associations, such as the NCAA or the NAIA, that coordinate, supervise, and regulate the competitions that we're talking about. Okay, so we've got schools, school athletic association, and now we have intercollegiate athletic associations. Then the bill goes on to specify this. Ready? Athletic teams that are sponsored by a school or sponsored by a private school whose students or teams compete against a school shall be expressly designated as one of the following based on biological sex. And this is the stuff I just laugh at. They actually say this. 
We've come to the point as a culture where they have to say this. They have to codify this into law. Okay, so how are they going to be designated? These teams be designated based on the following biological sex? One, men are boys and males. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. They actually say that. Males are men or boys. Number two, females are women or girls. And number three, co-ed is mixed. So they actually put it into law now in the state of Oklahoma that males are men or boys, females are women or girls, and three, co-ed means mixed, a, a competition that has both men and women, males and females, boys and girls on one team. And then they say this to conclude. Athletic teams designated for females, women or girls, shall not be open to students of the male sex. And they define that for us. (laughs) Biology, as we learned in the Supreme Court hearings, apparently you have to be a biologist to know what the definition of a woman is. Well, biology says that males are men or boys, females are women or girls, and co-ed would be the mixture of the two on one team or in one competition. Athletic teams designated for females, women or girls, shall not be open to students of the male sex. Like I said, just five seconds ago in terms of human history, we would not have thought this necessary to put into law codified in such a specific fashion because even a five-year-old understands what a boy and a girl is. And then finally, the bill concludes, any student who is deprived of an athletic opportunity or suffers any direct or indirect harm as the result of a violation of this law shall have a cause of action for injunctive relief damages, and any other relief available and permitted by law against the school. And any student who is subject to retaliation or other adverse actions by a school, school athletic association, or intercollegiate association as a result of reporting a violation of this law shall have cause of action for injunctive relief, damages, and any other relief available and permitted by law against the school or organization in question. Close quote. So in other words... In other words, to put all this legalese nonsense into layman's language, excuse me, this is what the bill says. Governor Stitt just signed into law something that simply says schools are schools, colleges are colleges, teams are teams, sports are sports, men are men, and women are women. That's what it says, okay? And then... The law that Governor Stitt just signed makes clear that any school, college, or athletic association, athletic program, teacher, coach, or administrator that deprives a woman of her incontrovertible right to her own sport, her own shower, and her own locker room is breaking the law, and that a woman or girl suffering such violations of the law has the right to sue the socks off of such a school or such people and organizations for their shameless and blatant misogyny, period. That's what this bill is about. Did you hear what I said? That's what it's about. Schools are schools, men are men, women are women, colleges are colleges, teams are teams, sports are sports, and any school, college, athletic association, teacher, coach, or administrator that is depriving a woman of her right to her own sport, her own shower, her own locker room, is breaking the law, and that when that happens, women should retaliate 
and sue the socks off of such schools and such people for their misogyny. Why would anybody be against this bill? Anyone. Ask yourself that. When any culture comes to the point where it has a female Supreme Court nominee saying she cannot provide a definition of the word woman, and where women's rights activists are proudly protesting a law that codifies the biological fact of the female, you know that you have a nation in intellectual and moral freefall and a country in the throes of imminent collapse. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm going to explain to you why. But before I get to Noel Maring's book, I want you to remember what St. Paul told us. He talked about all of this stuff. And you need to remember that St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus before he was renamed after his conversion. He was a Jewish philosopher. He was brilliant. He, he, he was a leader, an intellectual leader of his time. And so this isn't some slouch that's telling us this and warning of what I'm going to read to you right now. 2,000 years ago, as Paul stood in the streets of the crumbling Roman Empire, he wrote this. They suppress the truth. They are without excuse. They are futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts are darkened. Claiming to be wise, they are fools, because they exchanged the truth for a lie and worshipped the created rather than the creator. God gave them up to a debased mind. Close quote. That's what Paul said as he watched the Roman Empire collapsing. And he warned the church, that there's a consequence for this. When you suppress the truth, you're without excuse. You become futile in your thinking, and you have a foolish heart that's darkened. You might claim to be wise, but you're a fool. Because when you exchange the truth of God for a lie, and you start worshiping the created, what you see in the mirror, rather than the creator, what you read about in the Bible, God will give you up to a debased mind. You won't be able to think your way out of a paper bag any longer. And you're going to have to have laws that tell you that a man is a man, a woman is a woman, a boy is a boy, a girl is a girl, a sport is a sport, a school is a school, a team is a team. You're going to have to start defining everything down to the minutia of our daily existence. And even then, you'll get the definitions wrong because you're given over. You're given over to a reprobate and debased mind. Your heart is darkened. Your mind is black. You become futile in your thinking because you've exchanged the truth for a lie. And you think you, that God that you see in the mirror, is the end-all and be-all of everything. Now, I want you to let that sink in as I read this quote from Noel Maring's book. Just think about what we're talking about in culture right now with regard to these Save Women's Sports Acts, which are good. I applaud Governor Stitt for having for, for signing it, but it's a shame that he has to. Um, we didn't talk about this stuff 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, because we just knew what we knew. We knew a woman was a woman. <clears throat> Excuse me, and when Title IX was codified into law in the 1970s. We didn't have to define what a woman was. 
it was it, it was a law. Title IX was and is a law that protects women. There, nobody would have thought when that law was written that we'd have to start defining a female because males would claim to be females and would intrude into women's sports and facilities, restrooms and showers. Nobody was thinking that because we hadn't been given over completely to a reprobate mind at that point. Back to Noelle Maring's book. She actually says this, and I'm going to just read this quote. It's, it is rock solid spot on. In his 1936 book, Sex and Culture, J.D. Unwin, a social anthropologist from Oxford, published the results of his extensive research studying 86 societies and civilizations. And then Noel Maring goes on and says this, The single most influential factor determining the flourishing of a society that Unwin discovered was whether prenuptial chastity was a strict social norm or not. When this was combined with absolute monogamy, the society and culture flourished. If there was a social change, listen to this. This is what uh, Noel Maring says in summary of Unwin's research. If there was a social change in these norms, the culture was usually conquered or taken over by another culture within three generations. And then she summarizes, and she says, if we consider the sexual revolution to have begun in the 1960s, then we are entering, we meaning America, are entering the third generation of that revolution. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. You have an Oxford anthropologist, and by all accounts, there's nothing that uh, indicates that J.D. Unwin, this Oxford anthropologist back in the 1930s, he didn't position himself as a Christian. He was a scholar. He was an academic. One of the premier anthropologists, arguably, in the world because of his position at Oxford, one of the premier universities in the world. And he writes a book in 1938, excuse me, 1936, where he says the most single influential factor determining the flourishing of a society is whether or not that society or that culture is committed to prenuptial chastity and whether or not that's a social norm. And then a secondary thing he mentions is absolute monogamy. Now, what does that mean? That you're not engaged sexually until you're married, and then after you're married, you're committed to monogamous relationships. Your marriage. Pretty simple. 1936, this wasn't controversial to, to study it and to write about it. And he concluded, after studying some 86 different cultures, 86 different societies and cultures, that every one of them was taken over or conquered within three generations after they abandoned those two norms prenuptial chastity, and marital monogamy. Three generations, and they're conquered or taken over by another culture that has better cohesion and definition. And we are in our third generation, if you say or if you conclude or argue that the sexual revolution of America started in the 1960s. Here's more from Mary. 
When total sexual liberty is embraced, the society is characterized by people who have little interest in much else other than their own wants and needs. At this level, the culture is usually conquered or taken over. Then she says this, Revolutionaries from Marx to Marcuse seem to have known this with remarkable prescience. Their plan to demolish the family has turned out to be the most obvious and yet insidious tactic in their playbook. Religion and the nuclear family stand as the biggest hurdles in the way of the revolution. Weakening the sexual mores of culture is at the heart of dismantling the family. The promise of the sexual revolution, Mehring says, is that sex became meaningless. It can become meaningless. It's just recreational. It's just consumption, basically. It's like going out and having a good steak. Okay, back to Mehring rather than my paraphrase. The promise of the sexual revolution, again, she says, is that sex can become meaningless. This is a critical point that she's making because, here, listen to her. If sex has any intrinsic meaning, then suddenly the threat of familial duties and responsibilities begins to infringe on our autonomy. What she's saying there, when sex has meaning, then a father has purpose and meaning, and a mother has purpose and meaning, the family has purpose and meaning. So when sex is meaningful within the context of family duties and responsibilities, that's going to infringe on your autonomy, right? Because you're going to restrain yourself, and you're going to behave within those two values of prenuptial chastity and marital monogamy. But if sex is meaningless, then family and father and mother and personhood in general doesn't mean anything because, you know, it's all recreational, right? So she summarizes by saying this, because of the lie of the sexually autonomous lifestyle, we become in the extreme beasts and blow up dolls, prowling and posing. If sex has no meaning, then neither does the person or the family. Sexual autonomy has cost us everything. Noel Maring, Awake Not Woke. Think about that. Let that sink in. And listen to what she says in the context of Black Lives Matter, which says in their charter, in their mission statement, that one of their primary goals is to dismantle the nuclear family, to queer the nuclear family, and dismantle Western patriarchal structures. Why are they so hell-bent on doing that? Because the family, the person, mother and father, male and female, boy and girl, these distinctions are a threat to their revolution. Because If sex is meaningful, then the person, the family, the mother, the father, the son, and the daughter have meaning. But if sex is meaningless, then you can kill the boys and the girls via abortion, and you can just be a beast or a blow-up doll prowling and posing your way through daily life. And when that happens, cultures fall and nations die. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.